Psalms 110 verse 1, the Bible says in verse, it's a psalm of David, it's a messianic psalm. The Bible says in verse 1, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. The Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauty of holiness. From the womb of the morning thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The Lord at thy right hand shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath. He shall judge among the heathen. He shall fill the places with the dead bodies. He shall wound the heads over many countries. He shall drink of the brook in the way. Therefore shall he lift up the head. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this day, dear Lord. I thank you for all you've done for us. Father, I can't do anything without you tonight. Lord, This, please just touch this uh, service, touch this message. Lord, I pray that you bless your reading of your word. I pray that you fill me with the Holy Ghost of God tonight. Help us to remember Christ tonight, see Jesus tonight. And Lord, I pray that if there's anybody here lost tonight, that you draw them with cords of love. Lord, no doubt there are sinners here that need to be saved. I pray that you draw them, show them their need of a Savior. They will repent and believe the gospel tonight tonight before it's too late. We love you, Lord, and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you. Might be seated. If you've ever read any books about studying the Bible, there's a little formula, if you will, and those in the Bible college, I'm sure you know this. There's a little formula we use when we're looking at verses, especially in the Psalms, and we look for the primary interpretation of a text. We look at the practical application of a text, and we look at the prophetical implication of a text. And typically, those things can vary, they can change, and, and uh, they can be all sorts of different things. But can I say in Psalms 110 that the primary interpretation is Jesus, the practical application is Jesus, and the prophetical implication is Jesus. Amen? You are you can't, if you miss Jesus in this text, you wouldn't pay attention when we read the Bible. Uh, basically, the only part of this, this chapter that ain't about Jesus is when it says a Psalm of David, okay? Uh, so, uh, here's what, here's what Matthew Henry says, this psalm is pure gospel. It is only and wholly concerning Christ, the Messiah promised to the fathers and expected by them. This whole psalm is about Jesus. And I want to give you a few things about every verse here, and then I want to get into verse number one. The Verse one teaches us the proof of Jesus, and we'll come back to that. In verse number two, we see the place of Jesus. The Bible says, the Lord shall send the rod of thy strength out of Zion rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Let me tell you tonight the dome of the rock sits on the temple mount uh, this evening but there's coming a day very very soon where there will be no dome of the rock on the temple mount the Muslims and I'm not being ugly when I say that I want them to be saved too uh, but they will not have the deed to that mount. They will not have any claim to that mount. There will be no UN or League of Nations that can hand that mountain over to them because when Jesus shows up, he's going to rule the world from Jerusalem. Amen. He will sit on the seat of David, his father, the throne of David, his father on that Mount Zion and his preacher preached Sunday morning. He will rule the world 
out of Zion. Amen. So we see the place of Jesus. In verse number 3, we see the people of Jesus. The Bible says, Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power. What day is that? When he comes to set up his millennial kingdom. The, another word for the, uh, that the Holy Ghost used uh, for the Hebrew word behind power is army. Amen. He's going to come with an army. Amen. In the day of his power, thy people shall be willing. The, hey, he's not going to have to bribe his people to do anything. He's not going to have to coax his people uh, to do anything. But in the day of his power, hey, his people will be willing. You say willing to do what? To follow him wheresoever he goes. Amen. Hey, they will follow him. And why is that, Brother Chris? Well, in the beauties of holiness. Amen. I'm going to tell you when we come back, uh, people might not recognize us because uh, we ain't going to look like ourselves no more. Uh, we'll be coming back in glorified bodies. We'll be coming uh, back robed in white. Hey, and you know what? It's not because of us because there is no righteousness within us worth anything, uh, but it'll be because the righteousness of Christ. We will be returning. We will be willing in the day of His power uh, to follow Him and whithersoever He goeth. And then we see here in this same chapter, here in the same verse, in the beauties of holiness from the womb of the morning, thou hast the dew of thy youth. I'm talking about we're going to be spry as a spring chicken. Amen, Brother Sam. We're going to be wide open for the king on that day. I see the, pe- the proof of, his, of Jesus, the place of Jesus, the people of Jesus. In verse 4, we see the priesthood of Jesus. And my goodness, the Lord has sworn and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the Hebrew writer writes much about this. But Jesus, uh, Melchizedek's a picture of Jesus. Or Jesus is a picture of Melchizedek. It's all, it's all beautiful in that. Uh, but he had no father, no mother. We don't know about his genealogy. We don't know about where he came come from. We don't know where he started. We don't know where he ended. Uh, we do know he was the king of Shalem. Amen. That is Jerusalem. Amen. The king of peace. Hallelujah. Hey neighbor, can I tell you that's a beautiful picture of Jesus. Hey, he's the king of peace. Can I get an amen right there? The prince of peace. Hey, a neighbor, he's going to rule from that same city. We've already talked about that. Hey, he's the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. Jesus has no beginning. He has no end. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He changeth not. Amen. Hey, and the, the, the Levitical priesthood, the, the Aaron, Aaron's line, hey, they had, to, they had to always be working. They had to provide a sacrifice for themselves. They had to provide a sacrifice for everybody else. Hey, but here we have a priest that not only has a sacrifice for everybody else, but he didn't need a sacrifice for himself. Amen. Hey, he is the priest after the order of Melchizedek. He entered him once into the whole place making eternal a redemption for us neighbor hey Jesus is enough amen we see his priesthood and and you really see him as prophet priest and king in this chapter but then in verse 5 we see the purging of Jesus the Lord at thy right hand uh, shall strike through kings in the day of his wrath this day of power day of wrath it's all the same thing and in his wrath he's going to set all things right he is going to purge his threshing floor. He, he is going to go in and sink the sickle in. And he's going to do what us Baptists couldn't do in 2,000 years. He's going to do it in one day. Amen. He's going to clean house. And it, and it will be holiness from the kitchen sink to the horse's bridle. And then we see in verse number 6 the preeminence of Jesus. I love the wording here. He shall judge. 
He shall fill. He shall wound. He's going to do it all. You know, we're coming back with him as an army, but preacher, it does not say that we're going to be doing the fighting on that day. It says that he, he's, listen, don't fall out with me. Hear me out before you throw me out. But I don't think even Jesus is going to be coming through swinging a sword. It says by the word of his, the sword of his mouth. It is going to be the word of God that slays those in the valley of Armageddon. I don't believe Jesus is going to have to do a bit of work because he's already done the work. Amen. It's all going to be by the power of his word. It's going to come up from the word of his mouth, the sword of his his mouth and Jesus is going to have the preeminence. Hey you know there's a, it said he lifted up the heads in that same verse. He shall wound the heads over many countries. The heads over. Hey that's every every news and you got to imagine this. The Valley of Armageddon and, and Fox News is going to be there and we, we know CNN will be there. Hey, sorry I couldn't resist. Every pitchfork, every sword, every, every sickle, every gun, every AR, every AK. I mean every tank, every nuke's going to be pointed down in that valley. And all the heads of the nations and the Antichrist are going to think we finally got them. We're finally going to do away with the Jews. We'll have this city. We'll have this land. I know that they're, 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 really, they're not looking for a two-state solution. They're looking for a one-state solution. They want it just to be the Palestinians. They don't want Israel to exist anymore. Remember that the next time you watch your newsreel. Hey, but Brother Jason, I promise you this. Hey, that they don't own that land over there. And Jesus is going to come. He's going he's to take care of all the heads of the nations. He is going to do away with them. He is going to have... Hey, everybody that will not bow today. Everybody that mocks God and says God's a crutch. Everybody... Hey, there's coming a day that every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ as Lord to the whether they want to or not I promise you he will have the preeminence on that day he'll even have preeminence in a Baptist church say amen right there but I see in verse 7 there's the plan of Jesus I love this he shall drink of the brook in the way I think you briefly mentioned this Sunday morning but what brook's he talking about he, if we take Zechariah, literally, he is going to come back and step foot on the Mount of Olives. Is that right? Now, the, the, there is a valley. We, you talked about it, Valley of Armageddon, that valley in between uh, the Mount of Olives and, and Jerusalem. Well, what brook runs in that valley? The brook Kindred. Can you think, th- think about this? The last time he crossed that brook, those soldiers were taking him from the Mount of Olives back down through that valley into the city. He was drinking the bitter cup, wouldn't he? The last time he crossed over that brook, it was a bitter cup. It was sorrowful. He was going as a lamb. But I'm going to tell you, the next time, it's not going to be a bitter cup. It's going to be victory's cup. It's amazing to me that the Word of God tells us right here, Brother Caleb, that he's going to take the time in the midst of all this victory. He's going to just take the time. And he's going to, I don't know where he's going to even get the cup. Amen. Hey, but he's going to dip, he's going to dip down and he's going to drink of the brook in the way. Hey, those Muslims have a graveyard planted in that day around that Kindred's uh, river or that brook and you know what they think that a prophet will not cross over a graveyard so they plant that, that's amazing the Muslims believe Jesus come back more than most of us do he, they, have, they have put Muslim graveyards in that valley because they don't think a prophet will cross over here's the problem he is a prophet but he's not the prophet of Islam amen <laughs> 
Hey, he's going to walk through that valley. He's going to drink of the brook in the way. And uh, Psalms 24, lift up, O ye gates. That gate, that eastern gate's sealed tonight. It's sealed up. There's nobody going in and out of it. But there's coming a day where the King of Glory is going to enter in. And Brother Proctor, he's going to go in. The gates are going to lift up. And Jesus is going in. Hey, look what it says. And therefore he shall lift up the head. How many of y'all believe every word of the Lord of God? Hey, the devil's run roughshod over this world for a long time. And I understand that by this time he's already dealt with the Antichrist. Hey, he's already lifted up the heads of all the kings. Hey, but Brother Caleb, when he gets there that day, after he gets him a little sip of victory out of that brood, hey, preacher, he's going to go and he's not going to lift up the heads that they've already been dealt with. He's going to lift up the head. It goes all the way back to Genesis 3.15. He shall bruise thy heel, but thou shalt bruise his head. Amen. I'm going to tell you, he's going to lift up the head. And the old foot, the old dragon, he's the old booger man. He's going to be cast into the pit for a thousand years. And we're going to be able to stick our tongues out of him and say, nana, nana, boo, boo. Amen. There's a plan that Jesus has. And it's coming to pass. But I want to look. Can y'all, can y'all bear with me just for a few more minutes? Look at verse number one. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. I want us to look tonight at proving Jesus. You say, Preacher, why, why would you preach that tonight? Well, it's in the Bible, but I want to say this. I, I got curious a couple weeks ago and I looked up what was the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. I look up weird stuff like that all the time, but it's good studying. I like it. And I came to find out that the most quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament is Psalms 110 verse 1. Matter of fact, in our New Testament, there's only three, there's only three writers that do not quote this verse in some shape, form, or fashion. That's John, Jude, and James. I guess because your name starts with a J, you didn't get to write that verse down. But everybody else, 26 verses. Matter of fact, when Jesus goes to, to shut down the Pharisees at the end of his ministry, the synoptic gospels, all three, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all three record Jesus quoting this verse. And after that, they durst not ask him any more questions. Yeah. Hey, you go over there to Peter and he's trying to prove Jesus at the day of Pentecost. He's quoting this verse. You go through Paul's writings, and I mean Paul, it's scattered all through Paul's writings. He is proving Jesus. And here's what we need to be doing tonight. We need to be equipped to prove Jesus to this world. What I'm about to show you tonight, if you're dealing with a Jewish person, this works. If you're dealing with a Jehovah's Witness, this verse works. If you're dealing with a Mormon, this verse works. So I want to tell you to go out and witness. I want to tell you to go out and, and tell people about Jesus, but not everything. Everybody believes like in Jesus like we do, even from a fundamental basis. I'm talking about lost people. Y'all understand? There's people who don't believe He's God. And not just atheists. I mean, there's people that believe God is God, but they don't believe Jesus is God. Hey, and we've got to be equipped to tell them and show them. I'll tell you how, how much this proves Jesus. A friend of mine was recently in a synagogue. And he said that they, on that day that in their prayer book, they were reading Psalms 109 and Psalms 110. He said they read through all of Psalms 109 in English. They got to Psalms 10, 110 verse 1, read it in Hebrew, and then went back to English in verse 2 and read the rest of that psalm in English. So, preacher, why would you do, they do that? Well, number one, most Jews here cannot 
understand Hebrew. They know how to read it, but Brother Laddie, they don't know how to understand it. So you know what the rabbi said? That points to Jesus a little bit too much. So what we're going to do is when we're reading this portion of the Scripture, we're going to read all of it in English, give them a taste of it, but we're going to skip this verse. Sounds like an NIV, doesn't it? Sounds like a modern translation of the Bible. If we don't like it, if it goes contrary to what we believe, we'll just skip over it. And that's how cults are started. Brother John Sasser said this, the day Jesus died on the cross, you know what happened? Judaism became a cult. And ever since, they've been having to take portions of the Scripture out to prove their point. And neighbor, every cult out there, they have verses they don't want you to know about. And this is one of them. How can we prove Jesus? And let's see, what does this prove about Jesus? The first thing, it proves His person. The Lord said unto my Lord. Now listen to this. David got to write this. A thousand years before Jesus come to earth, David, and I know I'm teaching a little bit, but y'all bear with me. I would love to hang off the chandeliers, but this is what God put on my heart tonight. A thousand years before Jesus came, God let David hear this. Brother Mike Bagel said this, that he believed that this is what Jesus heard when it was time to ascend back up into heaven. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thy enemies thy footstool. I'm going to tell you right now, David got to hear a conversation where God was talking to God. Amen. And here's what he tells us. David said, the Lord said unto my Lord. So the Lord Jehovah, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, said unto my Lord. You see that possessive pronoun that David uses? He is, he is separate. Now that doesn't mean God Jehovah is not his Lord. But he is talking more personally about Christ here. Adonai is the, is the Hebrew word here. And Brother David, he is saying, the Lord, Jehovah, the, the existing one, the God that's always been God, he said unto my Lord, my personal Lord. Now you say, preacher, that don't make no sense. What, what's the big deal? Well, here's the big deal. There's a lot of people out there, they believe God the Father's God. And they believe in God the Spirit being God. Every Pentecostal, every charismatic, uh, they all believe. Even Jehovah's Witness talk about the Spirit of God being God. But they do not want to admit the deity of Christ. And in this verse, this phrase alone proves the deity of Christ that God Jehovah said to God Adonai that God and God are talking to each other. And it's two, they're, they're not two separate gods. They're the same God, but they're two separate people. And you know, persons. And you know what God's doing? He is God. Jehovah's telling God the, the, the son, God, Adonai, the master, the owner, the Lord. That's what Adonai means. He, they're having a conversation between each other. Uh, so it's not God talking to himself, but it's God talking to himself. It's God talking, hey, it's God talking to his son, but it's God's son talking to God. I mean, this is amazing because this proves, hey, they already believe in the Spirit. They already believe in the Father. But this proves that he's not talking to the Spirit. He's not talking talking to himself. He is talking to the Lord God Adonai. The Lord, the master. And isn't it amazing that the King David here is saying he has a master? There's a lot of people, the reason they won't get saved is because they don't want a Lord in their life. 
They want to get out of hell free card. They want somebody to pay their bills. They want somebody to get, make them have the fuzzy wuzzies when they get up in the choir. Uh, but they don't want to turn and repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Because if He's Lord, then everything in this book is true. And that they, if they, all the good things are true, but all the curses are true too. And they want to be able to live how they want to and have no... They want to get out from away from condemnation. But if Jesus Christ is Lord, that means we're all sinners. We're all damned for hell. We're all under condemnation of God. And that Calvary, it was real. If Jesus is Lord, Calvary's real. And that means that we're sinners and we need a Savior. And if they're not saved, that means they're under condemnation. They're under wrath. They do not want to believe this. But guess what? Whether they believe it or not, the Lord said unto my Lord... We see the person. This proves the person of Jesus. But number two, it proves the position of Jesus. Sit thou at my right hand. And and I love this. This position proves that he's sitting. It is a sitting position. Sit thou at my right hand. He's at rest. It is finished. There, and y'all have heard it a bunch. There are no seats in the tabernacle of the Old Testament. But you know what? There, there, there's no seats at the tabernacle. In the, there, there is a seat up there in the tabernacle in the heavens. And it's at the right hand of the Father. Hey, the, 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 the work was never done for the Levitical priesthood. They went in. They went out every day, every night. They had to do the bread. They had to do the oil. They had to light the incense. They had to go in and, and offer up blood over and over and over. They had sacrifices and labor. It was always sin, so there was always sacrifice. Hey, but I'm glad to report tonight when Jesus said, It is finished. It is finished. The reason the veil was ripped from the top to the bottom, hey, because the work was done and tonight our priest isn't laboring our priest isn't working our priest isn't trying to figure out what the next sacrifice is going to come in from hey he's already seated at the right hand of the father he's resting tonight he's comfortable tonight because hey you know why God you know why Jesus is resting tonight you know why he's sitting tonight you know why he's satisfied tonight because God the father is satisfied with everything that God the son Hey, it's finished tonight. Not because Jesus just said so, but because God said so. I see the sitting of this position. I see the, it's a specific position. It was God given. Matter of fact, as far as I can tell, that was the seat he left when he came to earth. That's where he's always sat. It's nobody else's seat. You say, preacher, why is that significant? Because that, that, there's that song, God searched through heaven, seeing if there be one willing to be the... That's not... That's bad. You know, you, you get real bad theology from Southern gospel music. Amen. Sometimes worse than you can from country music. Say amen right there. Do you hear me tonight? He's the only one that could fill that seat. You remember when he's standing behind the, by the Sanhedrin and he's sitting in Moses' seat? They had placed themselves in his seat. Whew. And he was about to extradite them. <laughs> he's about to get them out, Brother Jason. Hey, you hear me tonight? It was a specific seat. It belonged to him. Amen. Amen. I see this. I see it was a sovereign seat. You say, preacher, how is that? Because when this was written... It had not, all this had not taken place yet. When this was written, 
There, there was still problems, wasn't there? The king was not reigning. Matter, matter of fact, when this was written, David was reigning. So Jesus had obviously had not come yet. This is a sovereign seat. I'm glad we serve a God that can tell us what's going to happen before it ever does happen. I like this. It's a strong seat. It's at his right hand. Power, strength, wonder. But then it's a supplicating seat. Oh, I love this. Because he's seated at the right hand of God tonight. He's ever interceding for you and me. Right now, nobody may be praying for us right now, but one is. Nobody here. I've heard it said, well, nobody's praying for them. Contrary to that, I'm contrary to that because if they're saved, there's somebody seated at the right hand of the Father and He doesn't have to call long distance. He don't have to check up and make sure He's clean before He enters. He don't have to confess sin before He goes to God. No, tonight, Jesus Christ the righteous, He's our advocate with the Father. He's our interceder. Hey, Job, when his day was looking for a daysman, somebody to reach down to him and somebody to reach down to God. Hey, our daysman seated at the right hand of God tonight and all he has to do, I know what he, he knows what I need more than I do. Hey, and you know what? When he looks at me, he comes, he goes to the Father and says, man, Chris don't even know what to pray for. Here's what he really needs. And you know what? The greatest conduit of intercessory prayer in the universe tonight is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Every time we need something, Brother Brian, even before we know, he, we know it, yeah. he just leans over to the Father and says, hey, that's what Brian needs. That's right. Oh, my. That ought to bless our soul tonight that we have somebody interceding for us. I see the proving of Jesus. We see his person. We, his, we see his position. But lastly tonight, we see his power. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool he's literally going to prop his feet up on his enemies so preacher why is that significant I've been praying about this and you may be able to help me even more after service but one of the most significant uses of this text in the New Testament is is in in Ephesians 1 but laddie it goes through this list of all the powers that principalities and all the darkness that's under the feet of Jesus but he had just spent all those 20 verses prior to that telling us how we were in Jesus and get this we get into Ephesians 2 and you're seated together in heavenly places in Christ that ain't talking about a good Holy Ghost filled service tonight if you're saved oh my We are in Christ, Brother Jeremy. Tonight, I am as good as in heaven tonight. Now listen, we believe in positional holiness. Amen. We are positionally holy. When you got saved, you're in Christ. There's nothing we can do to make it better. Nothing we can do to make it worse. We are in Christ. That's why we can go to God. That's why we can get forgiveness of sin. That's why we have access to the Father. Because positionally, we are in Christ. But Paul doesn't stop at positional holiness in Ephesians or Colossians or Galatians. 
He deals with practical holiness. And so the epistles, this is how they're written. The first part is always, here's what we believe. But the second part is always, here's how we behave because of what we believe. Our holiness doesn't, doesn't end at positional holiness. It begins at positional holiness. And then we are to live out, we are to yield ourselves to God. And because Christ has conquered the world, because Christ has conquered the enemies, because God has made His enemies His footstool. And if you go to Ephesians 1, it's not future tense, it's past tense. It's already been done. The devil and all of them, they have just, they're on a short, short leash tonight. And tonight, if you want to live holy, if you want to live for God, if you want to have victory in this life and live the Spirit-filled life, you can do it because all of that is under Jesus' feet and positionally you are in Christ and practically He's ready to live it out in your life. And one day we'll be perfected holiness when we're there. And we won't be robed in this flesh anymore. So preacher, why should I be excited about this? Because of His power. Because He has power over the devil. Not that we have power in ourselves, but we have power in Him to have power over the devil. He has power over this flesh. Amen. He proved it. He was tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin. That's the significance of the, de- the wilderness. Hey, he was de- the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and pride of life. If he conquered them and we're in him, we can conquer them tonight as well. We don't have to live in bondage. I'm not talking about sinless perfection. God knows that. I know we mess up, we fail, but he's even got power for that. He's got power over failure so that when we fail, he can pick us up because it's all under his feet. And if you want it, to me it can be under your feet tonight too the problem is we've got to want it that's all that's standing between us and living holy lives in the in the spirit filled life brother brother Buck Huntley said this he said the the thing about Canaan is there's no no fences on the backside of Canaan you can go in as far as you want denied our heavenly Joshua Jesus he's cleared out Canaan for us and there's no fences on the backside. And he's just standing there. It's all under his feet. All the Canaanites, the Philistines, the Hivites, the Hittites, they're all under his feet tonight. And he's just standing here saying, would you come and go with me? It's up to you tonight. You say, preacher, what, what can I do with this verse? Number one, we can live it out. We can love it. We can dig in. We can enjoy the truth that's in this word because everything that's under his feet I'm not, being, I'm not being charismatic, but everything that's under his feet tonight, it's under ours. We've just got to live in his strength and his power, abide in him. But tonight, if you're here and you're lost, you can't have any of that. You don't have power over anything. It has power over you. Say, so preacher, no, no, I've got control of my sin. I've got, I, I can handle my sin. No, 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 no. The Bible says in the book of James, and sin when it is finished, bring it forth death. See, here's the problem, young man, young lady. You may get done with sin, but that doesn't mean sin's done with you. And tonight, Christ has the victory over sin. If you want salvation tonight, if you want power over the flesh tonight, if you want power over these things, the devil, all these things, you've got it if you'll get in Christ. You say, preacher, how can I get in Christ? You keep saying that. Well, he did everything that needs to be done for us to be saved. Can I get an amen right there? I'm not going to just say you need to be saved. I want to tell you how to be saved. Tonight, 
He's done everything that needs to be done for us to be saved. And if you'll quit trying to either do it yourself or you quit trying to hold on to whatever you're, you're holding on. See, there's two, reasons, there's two things people hang on to. They hang on to their works and they hang on to their wickedness. And sometimes they just hang on to their wickedness and their works or their wicked works. Amen. The only work that can save you is the work of Christ on Calvary. Repentance is not a work. It's a ceasing from works. It's a ceasing. You don't get better to get saved. You can't turn over a new leaf because the other side of the leaf will die too. But if you'll turn away from your wickedness and your works tonight and come humbly and put your faith, rest in Christ tonight. He will save you. He will give you victory over sin. He will give you victory over death. You said, preacher, really? Absolutely. That's the power he has. Tonight, if you're here and you've got loved ones you're witnessing to, and maybe they're a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, this is a good verse to take them to and say, what, what's this right here mean? And if they get all fidgety and want to say, well, that's not in originals, <laughs> you know you've got them. But tonight, we need to be trying to win people that don't, that don't believe in Christ as, the, as, the, as deity and, and as God. That verse will show it to them. Tonight, if you've got lost loved ones, the time of His wrath, the day of His, His, His power is coming. And this would be a good night to pray for them. This would be a good night to get in the altar and thank God for what all Jesus has done and what all God's done for us through Jesus. We just scratched the surface tonight of what Jesus has done for us. But if you're lost tonight, please don't leave here lost. You can be saved tonight.